if you pray to God genuinely, sincerely as one of his own to him, it doesn't matter what you feel, he hears just as truly. It's like those prayers are collected in his presence. He never forgets. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever really and carefully considered the timelessness of eternity and what it will be like? What will you, as a child of God, do? Who will you see? And how will you participate in the activity of heaven? Hi, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom concludes his current series with part eight of He is Worthy. You'll discover as we wrap up our series that the end of human history will not be the product of random chance or fate. It has already been written. And that future will be carried out by the one who planned it as delegated to him by the Father. He is the only one in the universe who is worthy. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you submitted to and ready for his kingship? Let's join our teacher to find out more on The Word Unleashed. The harps represent the praises of God's people. These these redeemed, the 24 elders, remember, represent the redeemed. They they are likely the apostles and the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, representing all of the redeemed of God. And they represent the people that they came to faith with. Old Testament believers and New Testament believers, and together they have harps, meaning that they lift their praise to God. And then it says each of the elders, again representing the redeemed, also hold a golden bowl full of incense. When you think bowl, don't think some large, you know, some high bowl, but rather think more like a flat saucer, more like a pasta bowl. A large open mouth bowl. These were used often in the tabernacle and the temple. We're going to meet them again later in this book as the bowl judgments unfold. Incense was in these bowls. Incense was commonly used in the Old Testament as a symbol of the prayers of God's people. In fact, incense was burned every day right before the Holy of Holies on the altar of incense. Why? Because as the, as the smell and smoke from that incense arose and, and wafted into the Holy of Holies, it pictured the prayers of God's people coming into the presence of God. So here, these golden bowls full of incense represent the prayers of God's people. Psalm 141.2 says, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. So what are these prayers? Praise we get. We see praise unfold in this chapter. We know what they're praising God for, but what are the prayers? Well, likely, and we can't be absolutely sure, but when you look ahead, when you look at chapter 7, verse 13, we learn about these believers who who are put to death because of their faith during the tribulation. Verse 14, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then you go down to chapter 8, verse 3, And you see there that the prayers of all the saints were on the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. What is this? Probably the prayers here, certainly, in chapter 7 and 8, and probably back in chapter 5, are the prayers of God's people for God to act. 
God, how long? How long will you let your people be persecuted? How long will you let rebellion stand against you? How long before you you make a name for your son, how long will you tolerate mankind's rebellion? So they have the prayers of God's people. The harps and the bowls then represent the collective praise and the collective prayers of God's people. Now just stop and think about that a minute. What does it feel like, feel, and I use that word intentionally, what does it feel like to you when you praise God? What does it feel like to you when you pray? Does it feel to you like anything really significant is happening? It doesn't matter what you feel. God hears. And here you see the prayers of God's people like incense ascending to God. He hears. He knows. And he'll answer in his time. Truly amazing. This this wonderful little snapshot reminds us that the praise and prayers of God's people are precious to God. He doesn't miss them. Not one that's genuinely offered. If you praise the Lord from your heart tonight, he heard. It ascended into his presence just as surely as this praise. If you you pray to God genuinely, sincerely as one of his own to him, it doesn't matter what you feel. He hears just as truly. It's like those prayers are collected in his presence. He never forgets. Notice John now explains how they use their harps. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. The pronoun they here could be referring to both men and angels, or it could be referring to the redeemed only. I think it's both because I think we're going to see the angels in a minute join this song, and they sang at the creation, Job 38, 7, at creation, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. But notice it's a new song. If you've read the Psalms, you've encountered that expression often. What does it mean? It describes the, the appropriate way to respond to a new expression of God's love and grace. You see, there are songs we sing because of what's been done in the past, but when God does something new, when he interacts in our lives in a unique way, it just calls out every new expression of God's love and grace, calls forth a new song of gratitude and praise. In chapter 4, the elders praise the Father for creation. In chapter 5, they now praise the Lamb for redemption. Verse 9 says, they were saying, worthy are you, Worthy are you. I noted when we studied chapter 4 that this expression was often used when the Roman emperor arrived. But John reminds us here that God alone is worthy of this kind of praise. This lamb is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is worthy, verse 9 says, to take the book and to break its seals. Now, this new song goes on to explain three reasons the lamb is worthy to open the book and to break its seals. First of all, the historical fact of his death. Verse 9 says, for because you were slain. The fact that he died, but more than that, the reason for his death. And you purchased. The word means to secure the rights to someone by paying a price. It was specifically used of purchasing slaves in the slave market and setting them free. This same Greek word is used in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 of us. You have been bought with a price. You have been purchased, verse 9 says, for God. 
God is the intended beneficiary. Ever thought about that? Your salvation is not primarily about you. It's primarily about God. You have been purchased for God. Isn't that what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6? He says, you have been bought with a price. He says, therefore, you are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore. No, you belong to God. You have purchased for God with your blood. There's the price Christ had to pay. And of course, as I've noted for you, everywhere in the Scripture, blood refers to the sacrificial death of an animal in the Old Testament or of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You have purchased for God with your blood, verse 9 says, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This describes who was purchased by the sacrifice of Christ. Now, these four terms in verse 9 occur five times in Revelation, although in different order. Tribe refers to those who are united by a family lineage. Tribe is a clan. You're, you're united by family. Tongue describes those united by a common language. People describes those who are united by the same basic genetic makeup, or we use the term race today. Nation describes those united in the same political structure. Robert Thomas writes in his commentary, people of every lineage, language, race, and political orientation are represented in this broad company of the beneficiaries of Christ's redemption. You know, I love the fact that we can go anywhere on this planet and interact with believers, and it doesn't matter any of those things. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The moment we meet them, right? We know that, and we, we respond to them, and they to us, because we share a common Lord. We share a common faith, all of those things that are recorded in Ephesians 4. That's what Jesus did. This is why he's worthy because he is redeeming a people. God is redeeming a people by his son, for his son, to his own glory. He's worthy. And there's another reason he's worthy, not his death and the reason for his death alone, but also the results of his death in verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. The redeemed together, all of us together, are a kingdom we're the kingdom of God. In other words, we're, we're those over whom God rules in a very personal way as our king. And individually, we are priests. We have immediate access to God. We have communion with God. And like the Old Testament priests, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, reaching out to others to tell them about this God that we have come to know. So we're a kingdom, we're priests, and verse 10 adds, and they will reign upon the earth. In chapter 20, we learn that's going to be true during the millennium, during the thousand years that Christ reigns on this renewed planet. And in chapter 22, verse 5, we learn that we will reign with him forever in the eternal state. Believers will reign with Jesus Christ. Now, did you notice this new song doesn't say the lamb is worthy because of who he intrinsically is? although that's true, but because of what he's done, because of the work of redemption. This is the song of the four living ones and the 24 elders. Joining their song 
comes the angels in verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. As this scene in heaven unfolds, the camera lens widens to take in the full sweep of heaven's glory and the majesty of the one sitting on the throne and of the Lamb. They are surrounded in their glory by countless angels. Now, John uses two expressions here to capture the vast number. He says, and the number of them, literally the arithmetic is the the Greek word, It's the word from which we get our word arithmetic. The the arithmetic of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Myriads of myriads is literally 10,000 times 10,000. 10,000 was the largest number for which many of the ancient peoples had a word. And so 10,000 times 10,000 was the square of that number. Literally, it's 100 million angels. But there's more than that because John adds thousands of thousands In other words, that's not anticlimactic. He wants us to know that it's really an an impossible number. It's more than 100 million angels. Now, just think about that for a moment. One angel in one night in the Old Testament killed 185,000 men, and there are 100 million of them around the throne. The huge number of angels the innumerable collection of angels adds to the weight of this overwhelming, majestic vision of God. The angels join the praise of the rest of heaven here, and more than a hundred million angels join in the praise of Jesus Christ, verse 12, saying with a loud voice. Now, because this says saying, some argue this means that angels are only speaking this praise, they're not singing. I have to disagree with that. I mean, if you look back in verse 9, it says that the redeemed sang a new song saying. So this could be a song as well, and I, I think it is. And notice they sang with a mega voice, literally, like the mega voice of the angel who was crying out, is anyone worthy? This huge throng sings this new song that echoes throughout the universe. Can I just stop and make a very direct applicational point here? Sing so you can be heard. When we sing praises to the Lord, sing to him. Don't sing like you don't mean it. Sing like you mean it. It does challenge us, I think, to sing out with our whole hearts. This, this literally, with a mega voice, it says they sang. Verse 12 goes on to say, here's what they sang. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Again, the focus even of the angels, is on the death of Jesus Christ. He's worthy. Why? He's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, don't misunderstand here. It's it's not saying Jesus doesn't have these things and that God's about to give them to to him, or even worse, that somehow we're going to give them to him. No, in fact, the New Testament teaches that these qualities already belong to Christ. I could take you to passages, I put them up there on the slide to show you passages where it says Christ already has these things. These are all qualities he already possesses and for which he is worthy to be praised. Think about what this is saying. Jesus has inherent power. 
He has incomparable and all-sufficient riches. He has incomparable wisdom. He has irresistible might. He has honor. That is his exalted position of authority. He has glory. That's his transcendent majesty. And he has God's blessing. This is what he possesses in the mind of God. And for all of those things, heaven is singing the praise of the Lamb. This is what he has, and this is why he deserves to be praised. Joining the praise of all the redeemed and of all of that huge angelic host is the entire universe in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. This is a lot like Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's exactly what's happening here. Mounts writes, all creation gives praise, honor, glory, and power to God and to the Lamb. John hears the roar of the adulation as it rises to heaven It is the adoration of the entire created world. The universality of Christ's great redemptive work calls for a universal response. Verse 13 says, and I heard all of creation saying, every intelligent being in the universe. I think this probably includes fallen angels and unredeemed humanity as well, because remember, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Every intelligent being in the universe joins in this great hymn of praise, praise that's directed, notice in verse 13, to him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, and to the Lamb. And to them both, they say, may there be blessing and honor and glory and dominion. This doxology contains four elements rather than the same seven in the previous one. It repeats three elements from the one we just looked at, but it changes one word. It changes the word might to the word dominion, a word that doesn't talk about inherent power, but power exercised. Dominion is sovereignty. That's the idea. So every created thing declares that the Father and the Lamb are worthy to be praised and to exercise in addition to what they already possess, they're to be praised for their dominion, for their sovereignty, literally, verse 13 says, into the ages of the ages. Think about that expression for a moment. Into the ages of the ages forever. As far as your mind can think, you know, I often challenged my kids when they were younger, think about eternity past or think about eternity future. Go back as far as your mind can go into eternity past to the vanishing point and God was there and he always was. What this is saying is if you take the same exercise and you go out into eternity future as far as your mind can go until you, you you've end up a, a sobbing puddle on the floor and God's praise will still continue into the ages of the ages. Verse 14 says, and the four living creatures kept saying amen. Probably they were repeating amen after each of the seven descriptions of praise. To him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be blessing, amen, and honor, amen, 
and glory, amen, and dominion or sovereignty, amen. And verse 14 finishes, and the elders fell down and worshiped. When Christ takes the title deed to the earth from the hand of the Father, all the redeemed will fall down before the Lamb and before the one who sits on the throne in humility, in submission, and in worship. The praise of this chapter, friends, is the praise that is a genuine outpouring of adoring hearts full of love and praise for all that God has done through the Lamb. So what is the chief lesson for us in this magnificent fifth chapter? There are a lot of lessons. I've tried to point out a few along the way, but there's one primary lesson. Listen to how Mounts puts it. Chapter 5 has revealed a central truth that governs the entire book of Revelation. By his sacrificial death, the Lamb has taken control of the course of history and guaranteed its future. He alone was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. The hosts of heaven break out in jubilant song, honoring the redemptive work of the Lion who is the Lamb. His triumphant sacrifice has transformed men and women from every part of the universe into priests in the service of God. Countless angels circle his throne and declare his power and praise. This vision of the grandeur of the triumphant lamb prepares John to share with his readers the more solemn aspects of the judgments that lie in the future. A vivid portrayal of the one who has won the crucial battle against sin supplies the confidence that in the troubled times to come, he is a hope that is steadfast and sure. He is the lion who is the lamb. He is in control. Here's the point I want you to get from chapter 5. The end of human history will not be the product of random chance or fate. It has already been written, and that future will be carried out by the one it was planned by, the one it's under the control of, and that was delegated to him by the Father. It's the only one in the universe who is worthy. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this is the end of the story, and the one who controls it is the one who purchased you for God by his blood. He's not going to let any of his own be lost, and he's going to bring it all to fruition. We're going to see it unfold. He's going to judge. The wrath of the Lamb is coming, but he's going to protect his own, and he's going to bring all of human history to its culmination, and then he will establish his kingdom. A thousand years on this planet and then he will destroy this universe and create a new one in which righteousness is at home. And you and I will live on a new earth forever with the lamb who was slain. And we will sing his praises into the ages of the ages. That's our hope. Don't lose sight of that in your life or in the circumstances of the world in which we live. He is worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed, and that concludes his current series titled, He is Worthy. Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. Well, Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then your heart has 
resonated with our study in Revelation 4 and 5. Because your own heart joins with the angels in saying, He is worthy. If you're not a follower of Christ, I plead with you to consider what we've learned together. The reality that judgment is coming, the end of human history is written. God is going to judge this world and every person in rebellion against him. Friend, that includes you. You will either face the judgment for your sins, or if you will come to God his way, if you will repent and believe in his son, if your confidence is in the the perfect life, the substitutionary death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you can be forgiven. Christ gets the penalty your sins deserve, the justice you earned, and you get the forgiveness and the righteousness that he has earned. That's the gospel, and that's my prayer for you even today. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.